Here we go, here we go. Mary, come on, I've been ready for an hour. What? Come on, Mary. Come on, Mary, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes, right where you are, you know, stay put, don't move, you're all good. Almighty God, who's protector of all who trust in you, and without whose grace no one is able to do anything, or even to stand up before you, richly grant us your mercy, that by your holy inspiration we think what is right, and we do what is good, for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, good to see you. Love you. Thanks for coming back. I know you're super busy. May is, May is worse than Christmas and Easter every year. It's busier than Christmas and Easter. It's amazing what, uh, what's happening for us and also what's happening for you. So I appreciate the fact that you're, even though you have nine t-ball games every day between now and 4th of July, I'm glad that you showed up for church. It was very, very kind. There's a lot cooking, as you know. So a couple of things just off the top of my head. This afternoon at 3 o'clock at Pastor Burkholz's uh, congregation, your old organ is their new organ. They're very excited. And they've got, like, they got big Huda people coming. The president of Concordia Chicago is going to be there. The district president's going to be there. And they've even said, you know, the, I mean, they're kind of, the, they probably don't, this is probably about as many as they seat. So if you're going to go, go early. And I think, you know, there'll be a little bit of refreshments afterward. It's nice. You were very kind to give them the organ. And even to help defray the cost of the move, that was very, very kind. And they're very excited. And there are some, you know, for you who are on Facebook, there have been already little bits floating around. It sounds fabulous. So I'll go represent St. John. But if any of you want to go this afternoon, it'll be a little like Lessons and Carols at Christmas. But it'll go through the church here with scripture and then also with hymns. And we'll just have some fun and love them up a little bit. So that got that going. Then... Pastor Bukes, I think his college choir is going to show up here. I think it's the on Wednesday, would that be the 16th of May, right? That will be fabulous. So there's another chance to come and hear, you know, I presume the organ will be played and new, new, um, you know, new acoustics and everything working out. So if you can come on the 16th of May. Now, another thing is among the busyness, this year, uh, and I, you know, we said yes, but it wasn't, we didn't instigate this. The Northern Illinois District Pastors Conference is going to be here the 15th and 16th instead of at, usually it's at a hotel. It's sort of expensive. And then we always have to travel for church and all that, and it kind of disrupts the normal rhythm of life. We're going to host it here, actually, on the 15th and the 16th. You can come, by the way. There's going to be matins, the Holy Supper, and um, Vespers at some point. Pastor Nelson is the guy in charge. Yes, please. Vespers and Compline. Man, the pietists are coming out. Vespers and Compline. Well, I hope we get them in the right order. Okay, so it'll be fun. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for doing that. We don't screw this up. Anyway, Pastor Nelson is on the committee, but it should be fun because you, you'll have basic, basically all the pastors in northern Illinois will be here, and um, we'll probably shock their socks off. So... Uh, <laughs> Also, many of you have been extraordinarily busy around here. Finally, on the 1st of May, we got warm weather, and, but the Garden Club was, you know, in waiting, rushed out the door and made the place look beautiful all around. I mean, the back and the north side, and there was some plumbing work down there. So thanks to that group, people who planned it all, and just everything looks fabulous. There's so much work going on. There's plumbing downstairs and outside. We're working on lighting for the commons. That should maybe come this summer. Of course, the organ is a big deal. Right there in the corner as you go out, the floor is sitting for the, 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 the 
the balcony remains closed and will remain closed. The floor will be wood for the strings who want a soft surface. And it'll be tile for the horns um, who want a hard surface. Uh, <laughs> hey, whatever you want, that's what we give you, okay? So there's a lot of, and the, also in the downstairs, John was a, kind of a genius. He, he, the tile place was moving. He bought all this stuff kind of half price. And so the tiling will start upstairs and downstairs, maybe even next week. So all these things from the capital campaign, immediately you see the fruits of that. Thank you very much for all of that. Thanks for all the work that's being done. Uh, this, this Next week will be the last Bible study that we'll have um, until summer break. So next week, we'll sort of sum up what we've been doing. But also, I, you know, there, in the earlier days when things were a little more uh, bouncy, you know, I used to sort of give a state of the church address. In some ways, you get that now. All the heavy lifting is done here and at the altar if you want to know what's going on at St. John, come to Bible study and go to the altar. You'll know 99% of what's going on. In any case, though, if you have questions about anything, for me, I can sort of do that next week. If you email or you can just bring your questions, I'll, I'll take them next week. What I want to do is sort of set you up so that when the treasurer, uh, Stephen Nyquist, and, and John Crow present the plans going forward and the budget along with the president, um, Carol, uh, when all that's bundled up the following week, you can ask specific questions. And then the next week, then Memorial Day is off, and then the next week we vote. And so, um, anyway, just sort of pay attention to that. But we want to make those things as efficient as possible. One way I can do that is just to answer any questions you've got. So I'll try to do that. I'll bundle that into next week. If you have questions you really want to know about, let me know. Is there anything you just want to know about right this second? Friend. Where did Marshall Frisk get his call? He went to heaven on earth, otherwise known by Pastor Nelson and his cronies as Wisconsin. The, the exact location was Fredonia, Wisconsin. It even sounds sort of Pacific, right? Everything is fine in Fredonia. It'll be interesting because I think, just through the grapevine, I, I think there would have been a pastor of 34 years who's retiring. That can, uh, hopefully that will be managed well and everybody will be happy with each other, but it's often a hard transition. And hopefully that it'll it'll go well. But so yeah, he should be happy. A lot of relatives in that area, and I think that's where he wanted to go. So all is well. You can creep on him on Facebook if you want to know more. So anything else? Just as we start to go, questions about anything, Mr. Rickard? Yes, over there. Yeah, actually, um, they're out on parole. <laughs> Don't give them a ride or lend them any money. <laughs> There are seminary students who um, wanted to meet you. So, you know, you're weird. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> and uh, so they were here. Matt Wheatfeld, do you remember Weedy? Former vicar. Now he's a dean. Who knew, right? Uh, so he called and said, hey, could you have some of these, our brightest and best guys come and visit St. John? In case you have family and friends who are searching for pastors. And... Uh, one of them is even going to be Pete Ladick's vicar. Well, I know, right? Talk about, you should buy a lottery ticket today, man, because you were on a roll. Get, get some scratchers and a tank of gas. It's going to be great. So uh, that, that's kind of fun. Uh, you know, so anyway, we played around a little bit on Friday and Saturday, and then the Vic took him out to, I suppose they went out and had soda pop somewhere in Wheaton. <laughs> right? Uh, I know, it's kind of fun. Thanks for asking. They're nice boys. Be good to them. 
right? So what else we got going? Anything else? Jen Cole, welcome back. You want to do a repeat? I'll do a in and now. Right there. Pay attention. That's Jesus. How Jesus is in the Holy Supper right there. That's all you need to know. That's how Jesus is in the Supper right there. Good job. Okay. Thank you so much. Well done. Well played. What can we do for you? Quiz question for them. This should be fun. So being a good, like, alter duty person server, I am. Yes. Okay, as, I, as I was walking out with Emily Stellwagen, Emily, where are you? <laughs> so we're walking out, and the, um, there was like a little kid, or a little person, who was playing in the farm. Must be a member. So there was water. Okay, so I went down to get the towel. Wiped up the water. Yes. We're going to read from the Didache in a minute where it says you baptize with living water. The water is living and moving and gets, sometimes gets life from you. But it wasn't put to holy use, so um, you're probably safe to just hand that to the vicar and forget all about it. <laughs> Go in peace, serve the Lord. All right? So, you know, when things, so just, I'm going to, there's two levels to your question. One is, everything inside those doors has been put to holy use, Right? So if you would have a tragedy in a sanctuary, if it would burn, um, if you would move into a new sanctuary, things are taken into and out of holy use. So everything in, inside those four walls is for holy use. Higher level than that, of course, are the elements used for the sacraments. And so our practice of consuming everything at the altar, insofar as we are able to do that, right? If the Lord has put himself to it, we treat that you know, there's nothing sort of higher level than that. As Herman Sasse says, the Eucharist is Christ. Now, this constant notion of water bubbling um, reminds you of your baptism. And if you recall, we use Luther's prayer that says, toward the end of the prayer in the baptismal rite, you have made all water. So this means whether you're fishing with Pat Jennings, whether you're taking a shower in the morning, having the gray colored out of your hair. What? No. So uh, you sort of, you know, whenever the water strikes you, it's sort of that memory of baptism. And that's sort of the water level at which is on your stuff. But we should be paying attention uh, when the word comes to the water for a baptism, you know. And, of course, everybody does, right? You feel like, you feel like people are just, like, leaning into it, right? So it's fabulous. So everything is holy and then sort of more holy. And this goes with, and John Kleinig is your expert for this, you remember how the temple was in the Old Testament. There was sort of everybody, and then one step in were the God-fearers, people who were kind of listening in, who were Gentiles, and then beyond that is the court of the women, and beyond that are the men, and beyond that is the priest, beyond that the high priest. And beyond the high priest is the Holy of Holies, where so much incense that he can't see, and everything dark, and be careful what you touch or say, right? So this is sort of how things work also still here. Right. And someday, when you're all put to get back together, you'll sort of move up higher, um, the way that woman in the in Jesus' parable is. You move up higher, and you know you meet the baby Jesus, and you'll say, "Oh, this all makes sense. Holy, holy, holy stuff, right?" So, anyway, you're right on track. Thank you very much for being so respectful. Anything else? All right, um, let's sort of finish up. 
for today. And then next week, I just want to talk in general about what we were trying to do. And it comes very nicely with what's at the end of St. John's Gospel. So I, le- I, I start um, with this image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, which is just this glorious thing. But the, what's so interesting is that this became popularized already in the third century when people in the Middle East felt like the world was moving too fast. Isn't that interesting? Right? And so in Babylonian literature, in Sumerian literature, in the Old Testament, you have this notion of kings and rulers, and then also seen in Israel, Yahweh, as the good shepherd who gives rest. Now, you just have to see how fabulous this is in terms of the gospel. As you know, with the gospel, God always makes the first move, right? God always makes the first move. Pastor Nelson was spot on in the sermon this morning about that, about how God comes to you. He loves you, and you love him back, and he loved you before you were you, before you were even created. You rarely think about that, but he loved you before you were even put to stuff. It's really great. So in the third century, people were harried. You know, Facebook had already been hacked, and the Russians were already meddling, and people couldn't tell a joke without you know, really being brutal to somebody else, and all the stuff that you work too many hours, by the way. I just wanted to get that in there. And your kids are probably on one too many ball teams, right? So you feel harried, and, and like you, people said, where is the rest in that? This is coupled with the fact that in the text for today, Jesus comes to Peter, who frankly has had a checkered record, right? And so you remember how Jesus came to Peter and said, who do people say that I am? Some say Elijah, some say the prophet. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And clearly has, it's a nice confession, but he has no idea what he's talking about because Jesus then told, took him aside and said, I'll have to suffer and die, and that's how you'll be saved. And Peter said, that's really a stupid idea, and let me help you with this, right? And so in, like so many of us, and, you know, I don't know you personally, or let's just say I didn't peek in your windows this week. But I suspect that most of you have done stupid stuff this week, right? In fact, I would suspect that most of you, in addition to being exhausted and a bit overcharged by the world, I would suspect some of you did some things that you're ashamed of. And um, if you had to kind of square up with Jesus about it, you might be like, uh, that wasn't me, that wasn't really me, I wish I wouldn't have done that. However, you who've been to the Eucharist this morning, just think how horrible the people who are going to 11 o'clock feel right now, right? I mean, you're all in good shape, but you, you, of course, know what I'm saying, right, Jesus? And so we do have sometimes, and there's that beautiful prayer that occasionally comes up once, uh, occasionally we pray and it comes up once a year where you say, let the memory of my sins be so horrible that I never do them again. And this, of course, is the way that Jesus weaves together your, wife, your, your, your life in Romans 8 where he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, even your sins work for your good because the memory of when you were horrible helps you not be horrible again. You know, you don't say to your wife, you know, you're turning into your mother. You don't say that twice. (laughs) You only say that once, and then you learn from your mistakes. This is completely theoretical. Okay? (laughs) Like that, right? So you you just say things one time, right? You know, let the memory of that horror be so potent that I would never do it again. In any case, you find all of this, and when things go wrong, quote Luther. So turn your page and move to number two, right? There is scarcely any more precious illustration in the whole gospel than when the Lord compares himself to a shepherd carrying back to his flock on his shoulders the sheep which was lost. So Luther, I mean, this is, we say this to you a thousand times we said this. 
There's only one story in scripture. It's the story of death and resurrection. The story of a lost sheep carried home, the story of the prodigal son. Even in the story of the prodigal son, the exact quote is, my son who was lost is found. My son who is dead has been raised from the dead. I mean, even Luther, right? Everybody, you know, there's just one story in scripture. We tell it all different ways. There's just one story, which is there's no better story than Jesus who carries you home. You were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you're alive. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? You were stupid and did stupid stuff. You were sinful, you did sinful stuff. Hey, you know what? Your stupid, sinful stuff doesn't matter anymore. You know why? Because Jesus loves you and he died for stupid and sinful. And now he picks you up and he carries you back to smart and holy and keep going. Go to the mass. It's all going to be great. You know, so if you, if you introduce St. Paul as a murderer, he would say, no, no, no. Forgiven murderer. Reformed murderer. Right? That's what you would say. So, you know, we all did stupid stuff. We all did stuff we wouldn't. Um, boy, can I tell two stories about Kirby in one Bible study? <laughs> it really depends. <laughs> Let's just say we were at, we were, we, we were at lunch. And Kirby, I'm just going just gonna to fuzzy this up, and you on your own will have to take the risk to ask if you think you are strong enough. Well, we were at lunch together, and Kirby told the story of her first drink to Kit, who then was like, whoa. So uh, I think it was, I think everybody was appropriate as far as I remember, but I just, you know, sort of, you know, and I just, I haven't asked it about this yet, uh, but I, I'm sure that it's something about, I'm sure he has more questions. Let's just put it that way, right? And I think well, among the other ones, is among, at least the first question might be, why did not I hear about this sooner? But, um, you know, so, but we all, you see, we all have this. We all have this. You have it. Why pretend, right? You're a bunch of damn sinners. <sighs> I'm glad I got that off my chest. Okay? So, you know, why pretend? Well, but then we always, you see, this is what happens when we get forgiven. We feel, we actually do feel bad about it. Our conscience gets to us. We knew we should have done better. And then we're afraid maybe if Jesus really knew us, he wouldn't really love us. And we feel that way. But if you really knew me, you wouldn't really love me, right? So if people don't go to confession, if you really knew me, right? It's painful. Well, the icon of Jesus carrying you home, he basically knows you're lost. He knows you're broken. He knows you're exhausted. And if you're St. Peter... He actually knows you're frankly not very good at what you've been called to do. And yet, he's very willing to, and this is extraordinarily important, give him another chance. Give him a second chance, even to weary, uneasy, underperformers. Some people will even work with threes. What? So, you know, um, you got to just, you know, you got to, this, this is how you work with people. Therefore, the sum of the gospel is this. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of grace and mercy. Look at that. He got all the way through. Luther himself got all the way through with what the kingdom of God is without shaking his finger at anybody. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of grace and mercy. The kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins, right? Which is embodied in Jesus, which is touched to you at the Eucharist and splashed on you at your baptism. The sum of the gospel is this. You know what? So this is a single thing that happens in this congregation. Forgiveness. That's all we're good at, or all we should be good at. That's it. You're a bunch of damn sinners, and guess what? Jesus doesn't care. He forgives you. Isn't that nice? Carry on, as the gospel said, as my friends and not as a servant. As my friends. I'll tell you how this works, he says. In which there is never anything but carrying. Norman Nagel, we're nothing but given to. 
Norman Nagel, we sin with even our best works. Norman Nagel, even our best works need to be forgiven. Right? Boom, boom, boom. Christ bears our griefs and our infirmities. He takes our sins upon himself and is patient when we fall. We rest always on his shoulders and he never tires of carrying us, which should be the greatest comfort to us when we're tempted to sin. Preachers in this kingdom should comfort the consciences and deal kindly with them and feed them with the gospel. Right? You should be marked by love. Not anger. The church is about love. They should carry the weak, heal the sick, and know just how to minister the word to each man according to his own need, which is exactly what you're going to see Jesus do. This whole year, all we've been looking at is how Jesus engages different kind of people. So he had smart-alecky academic types, and he had very successful business types, and he had people who were really bad sinners, and he had people who were bad sinners but thought they weren't bad sinners. On and on and on. We've sort of seen how Jesus, in each case, takes away their sins... And loves them into being somebody new. Now for St. Peter, right? Your first pope. What? So now for St. Peter, right? We'll see what happens. So I've turned the page to four. This is common stuff. And what Jesus the shepherd does is to shepherd you into shalom, into the peace of Eden. Shalom is when everything is put back together and everything is right with the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. What's the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you? Jesus can look at you and not incinerate you. The Lord look upon you with favor. That is, he loves you even before he sees you. And when he sees you, he loves you. And give you shalom, right? The last word of the liturgy is home to Eden. There's only one story in scripture. There's a story of death and resurrection. It's a story of second chances. It's a story of everybody in and nobody out. It's the story of hell is locked from the inside. Right? You only go to hell if you want to go to hell. Right? It's a story of love. So what's interesting is how Jesus uses the good shepherd and then also how Jesus talks to St. Peter, asking him to be a shepherd. The last two pages I colored a little bit. For whatever reason, I colored late night last night and then uh, it uh, shrunk it down and made it a little too small. I tried to make it bigger, but we're time and blah, blah. So in any case, hopefully you can see. But there are two primary points I want to make. One about how Jesus names Peter. And second, what it is that Jesus calls Peter into. Okay, so I'm right at number five. The good shepherd calls us by name. So the beautiful thing about this, you remember how this has happened now. Jesus was crucified, everybody fled. They came back from the tomb, everybody's confused. Sequentially, Jesus has been revealing himself to people, first to Mary Magdalene. He names her Mary, takes her fear away. Remember we did this? And then at Emmaus, he um, is speaking, as Arthur said last week, to his uncle and his cousin who becomes the second bishop of Jerusalem. And he says to them, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And Jesus takes, breaks, gives, blesses, and their eyes are opened. Exactly what will happen to you at the Holy Supper today. Your hearts will burn within you as you hear the text read. You'll go to the Holy Supper, and your eyes will be open. And you'll see things in a way that you couldn't ever possibly see them before. You'll see that God loves you, right? And this, of course, is what happens on the beach to Simon. They're fishing, and then they see somebody in the distance, and... The stories are a little bit conflated between Luke and John, and 
you know, they're fishing and cast over there, and they pull things up and 153 fish. And there's apparently a famous somebody who's there's a famous. Does anybody know this? There's a famous church in Sweden that has tiles like this, 153 of them on the ceiling, each one with a different biblical story painted in. Has anybody ever been there? No. We should go. <laughs> That'd be fabulous. Right, that'd be great. So, you know, um, but this, this, what he does to Simon, in some sense he does to you, which he names you. Now, of course, he's going to put Peter into the office of the ministry here. And, you know, you've got to be, you got to just, like, you have to be completely, you know, obtuse not to see what's going on here. He's going to take Peter and name him, and he's going to move him from one place to another with his words the way in Romans 6 he moved you from one place to another with his words in your baptism. Don't you know you were baptized into Christ, preposition of motion, into Christ, and now you're in Christ. That's exactly what he's going to do with Peter. He's going to take Peter and he's going to drop him into the office of the ministry. What does the office of the ministry do? Feeds sheep, tends sheep, feeds sheep, pasture, pastoral, shepherd. It's all from the same bit, right? So, Simon, son of John. Um, And if you turn to the back and look at number one, you can see how this works. I tried to set two things next to each other. One, the prediction of Jesus, what Jesus would do and how it will work. And you have the glorious, the other gospel that could have been used is the one that's the gospel pointed for today. So you're going to get all three of them. But your second last page. When they finished breakfast, so, and you know, you guys who are cutting down Pastor Nelson's tree and having a beer on his back porch, come on. That's, this is the story, right? So they've cut down a tree in Jesus' yard, and then they're having a beer and talking to each other over a sandwich. So the hospitality of the meal, right? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon Barjona, right? Simon Barjona. You know, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Which is, this is basic first commandment stuff. Am I for number one on your hit parade, right? The Lord is always a point number one, everything else at number two. He loves the guys. They've had a great time. These are my guys. We've been through it together. We've been steel, hardened and sharpened. But do you love me more than these, right? He says, come on, you know I love you. Right? And then he says, well, feed my, feed my lambs, Right? So what he's doing is calling Peter out as one of his sheep, and he's naming him, and he's leading him. Now, he's going to lead him into something particular. But you too, at your baptism, you get named, and you're led into a new kind of life. That's the glory of that big font down there that every time you see it, you remember how much Jesus loves you. He named you in the font, and he belongs to you. i got a great story for you. Muhammad, our friend Muhammad. I called his pastor. Finally got a hold of him. Do you remember our friend Muhammad who used to come? Yeah. He got baptized at Easter Vigil. And he took the name Paul. <coughs> who knew? So you got to love Pastor Fleming, right? Because he picked up his mom. So he was here with us. Marty and Anna did a great job with him. You did a great job with him, too. The vicar last year met with him. We got him um, an Aramaic Bible and catechism and some other stuff. And we were kind of slated for being baptized here, and then his mom got, I think it was breast cancer, round about before Christmas, and he decided to go back. And, you know, you can imagine this now. He's being catechized to be a Christian here. He's going back to a Muslim family. How's this all going to work out? It was kind of silent. And then 
Um, I think you gave me the news that he'd been baptized. You even had a picture. And I called his pastor and said, well, you know, how'd that, how'd that all go? And the great thing was is he said, oh, yeah, I baptize you, Muhammad Paul, apparently. I can't wait to get to do him face-to-face. So good job, y'all. I mean, here's the thing. That's not easy for you, right? It's not easy for you to embrace somebody not like you and with all the troubles and stereotypes and how people think about things. And then this young Muslim guy comes into your midst and a year later he gets baptized. Way to go, right? This is the difference between loving people and being angry with them. Boom. And thanks for him to Fleming for being a faithful pastor, a good man. So anyway, uh, to, to be named is to belong. And, of course, that's true for you. You belong to the church. You belong as one of Christ's um, sheep. Now... Quickly, Jesus goes to sorting out shepherds. But it's, it's really easy. And you should use this. This is important for you. You know, <clears throat> there's a strength and a weakness of, of how Lutherans talk about the priesthood, the holy priesthood, and what that means and how that works out, and judge and doctrine, and the Bereans, and they had their Bibles out and all that. Okay, fair, fair, fair. But kind of the acid test is um, when your pastor asks you to follow, you don't get to um, express preference so much as you get to um, sort out whether he is using you as his own possession to be destroyed or whether he is drawing you into the life of Jesus to become more holy. That's the decision that you're meant to make. Right? There's clearly an office of the ministry. There's clearly people who, f- who fill the office of the ministry. There's clearly people who are better at it and worse at it. And there are sometimes people who are absolutely fragrantly, f- flagrantly evil in their exercise of it in any form of spiritual abuse. Okay, okay. Young boys, you're not elected like a president. Sorry to have to tell you this. Um, there's, not a, there's not an election like a president where it's a, you're elected like um, a Supreme Court justice. In fact, when I'm looking at you, I'm seeing the notorious RBG right here, man. That's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah, you remind me of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You tell Pete Ladig that, okay? So, uh, hey, Petey, I love you. So here's the thing, because you don't elect your pastors like presidents every four years and then they're out. No, you elect them for life. So you should pay attention when you do this because you're in and you're not out. The way you get to stop being a pastor is to die. Careful with the blowguns, careful, right? (laughs) But you do have to then um, make sure that things are played the Jesus way. So turn the page a little bit farther to the Didache. Where was my Didache point? Page is that Didache bit. (laughs) Hold on. Free donuts for anybody. It's I got it. Donuts for me. Turn it to number six, okay? Here we go. Just turn the page. This is from the Didache. This is early. People fight about whether this was written at 60 AD or 160 AD. It doesn't make any difference. This is the first manual on how to run a church and be a pastor. This is what we do. This is what it looks like. This is what you, these are the problems we bump into. Here's some good advice for you, okay? It's very interesting. This is very early. Look, look already in the first hundred years after Jesus, wherever you want to mark it, look at what the troubles are. Watch for your life's sake. And he means that in a literal way. Watch for your life's sake. Like coming to church on Sunday is a matter of life and death. You've got to pay attention. Don't pay attention to the wrong things. 
People want to pay attention to the carpet and the wall coloring and this and that and blah. And by the way, I'm going to choose lights in the comments, so if you have any sort of expertise on this, this is the week to get to me, okay? And you guys who like to break things, have I got a job for you, okay? So if you have any light aesthetic tendencies, I'm your guy to talk to this week. Fair warning. All the heavy lifting is done in Bible study. Um, now, watch, but that's not really important. What you should be watching for is whether your pastor loves you and forgives you and gives you the Eucharist and baptizes your kids. That Because it's about your life's sake. A pastor who does that is doing what Jesus does. It's simple to be a pastor. It couldn't be easier. Pay attention. It couldn't be easier. You see as Jesus sees. Do as Jesus does. Love as Jesus loves. Walk as Jesus walks. Speak as Jesus speaks. And you get up the next morning and do it all over again, which is not unlike what you're meant to do. Right? We see with our intellect as Jesus sees. We love with our heart as Jesus loves. We choose with our will as Jesus chooses. We walk in the path of righteousness. Follow me. What does follow me mean? It means you like put your feet in the footsteps of Jesus. You act like Jesus, right? The prayer we said at the beginning. Help us to know what you want and do it gladly, right? And in every, with every good work, we fail, and so we beg forgiveness for our entire lives, which means we're all equal. So you can't look over there and say, that guy's a bigger sinner than me, right? It is the great equalizer. When we go back to kneeling, one more week of no kneeling, and then we're back to kneeling, Easter is over. You look around, kneeling is the great equalizer. Everybody's head is at the same level. Oh, we're all the same. That's what the church is meant to be. Watch out for your life's sake. Don't let your lamps be quenched, nor your loins unloosed. Be ready, for you know not the hour in which our Lord will come. But come together often. Come to church, for goodness sake, seeking the things which are befitting to your souls, your flock. Come together. Stick together. For the whole time of your faith will not profit you if you are not made perfect in the last time. I pay attention. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. You can't just take off a year or two and not come to church or stop being a Christian or stop being merciful. That's not what Christians do. Jesus constantly, every day, every second, every minute, for eternity, is for you, not against you, lives in love and in holiness. You too. For in the last days, false prophets and a corrupter shall be multiplied. This is the Antichrist coming, so they know this, right? They know this is going to happen. And the sheep will be turned into wolves. Now see... This is, and love shall be turned into hate. This is not so good. When lawless, lawlessness increases, they'll hate and persecute and betray one another. Isn't this horrible, right? So in the church, the last thing that should be said is you don't love somebody or you'd betray them. This should be the one place in the world where you can count on every last person. And frankly, you know what? I can't be everywhere all the time, but you can. And when people, you know, there's, a, there's only a range in which you can let people complain in a church, and it's a fairly tiny range, and it has to have a lot of data. Because you remember that quote that, every, that we run every once in a while from Diary of a Country Priest that says, with your sins you pollute the air that people breathe. That's what happens when people complain in the church, make fun of other people in the church, gossip in the church, even just are always angry in the church. You have a very limited range in which you can be upset. You can be upset about the things Jesus was upset about, which basically boils down to the Ten Commandments. Everything else is a no-call. Everything else is that we're going to do our best. 
Because if you allow, wherever you are, I don't care if you're working in the garden club, I don't care if you're in youth group, I don't care if you're traveling, you can't, with every complaint, you pollute the air that other people breathe. And you will wake up one day and you'll be lost at the last time. You will ruin what you've got here. I haven't had a crossword in 10 years with the two guys I work with. I love those guys, right? It is the most, the third floor here is the most fabulous thing I've ever experienced. It is phenomenal. I also know that it's fragile and that it could go away very quickly if all of us aren't careful. In the same way, you know, please be careful. These are real live human beings who are exhausted, who are a little bit ashamed, who are in an overcharged world and don't know which way is up because they got t-ball and then soccer. And you know how hard it is to yell at a 12-year-old t-ball ref and then go yell at a 13-year-old soccer ref all in one day? <laughs> Even in Wheaton, people have to get ready for this. Hey, I just heard that tailgating for, for Little League is the new deal. Is this true? Well, my first question is, why doesn't anybody invite me for pastoral supervision? But, the, but when I go, I can assure you I'm going to be horrified. Really? You all tailgate for your kids' Little League games? You ought to be ashamed. I, 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 Wheaton, I don't know. It's like nobody ever left high school sometimes. So, all right, well, never mind. Here we go, right? Then shall creation of men come under the fire of trial. So trouble's going to find you, right? There are clouds in the horizon. There'll be trouble. And, you know, many will be made to stumble and some are going to perish. And how are we going to endure? How is this ever going to work out? Well, the Lord will come and all the saints with him. In some way, there's going to be saints left. Here's how they're going to be saints. The Lord says to St. Peter, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, right? Which, as you know, because you're clever, is very similar to the verbs in Hebrew that the Lord gave to Adam, tend and keep the garden, which were the exact same words that, that were given to the sons of Aaron as the first priests in Israel, tend and keep Israel. And now you have Jesus saying to Peter, as he makes a pastor out of him, tend, feed, tend. So basically, you know, your pastor is meant to care for you. Um, and you can sort your pastor out by whether he says and does what Jesus says and does. You can't sort them out other ways. Just like I can't sort you out other ways. So, you know, you're, you're, you, these guys, someday these guys will be your pastors, okay? And you'll, you're kind to them if you say to them, that's not how Jesus uh, would talk or that's not what Jesus would do. I'm just telling you, you better be right, right? Because as you know, the penalty for a false prophet is stoning. So you definitely, um, and your pastor should feel precisely the same way. I sort you out according to the Ten Commandments toward your salvation, not toward your destruction. That's a pastor's job, right? Toward your salvation. This great metal lingual quote we always run that the only reason for punishment um, is, is correction. The only reason for correction is love, right? So you punish your kids so they get better. You don't... Um, um, you don't um, hurt your kids and destroy them so they get worse. No, no. It's all the same for you and for me, the back and forth. is always toward doing better. It's always toward loving. And you've heard this a thousand times before. The good news about this, of course, is that Jesus himself, this is what Jesus does. If you kind of flip to page 10, I, uh, I give you from St. John of the Cross. 
You know, this is what Jesus himself does. That Jesus is willing to suffer all of this. So you will say, yes, but it'll be hard for me if I don't get my way. Or it'll be hard for me if I, give my, if I let my kids go their own way. Or you'll say, it'll be hard for me if I let somebody who I don't think is as smart as me tell me what to do. Or you, it'll be hard for me if I endure people who irritate me in just the way I hate to be irritated. It'll be hard for me. Yeah, okay. It's hard for them, too, because, frankly, you're irritating as well. <laughs> right? The church isn't a bunch of perfect people who suddenly found the right zip code and, you know, got directions on Google Maps on just how to get to all the other perfect people. No. The story started with lost sheep, exhausted sheep, sinful sheep, ashamed sheep, people who do stupid things, people who would like to recover from being a murderer, like St. Paul, or people who would like to recover from denying Jesus, like St. Peter, Right? These are the sort of people that Jesus carries home. It's only when you've come to see your sin that you'll let Jesus carry you. People who don't think they're sinful, they just keep going. And Jesus is not going to force you to let him pick you up. But he would love to pick you up. He'd love to bring you home. So he says to you, I love you. Come with me. I'll feed you. I'll teach you. I'll console you. I'll forgive everything. And I will cement you to me, Luther in the Mass. I'll cement your life and destiny to mine. Right? And I'll make everything new. It, this is, I mean, this is the church. So pastors should be saying this because this is what brings you life. Right? This is what doesn't treat you as a possession to be used or exploited. This is what brings you to, to, to be people who respect each other and think primarily about other people the way God thinks about them. So when you look at other people, the first thing you say is, Jesus called that person by name in baptism, and they belong to Jesus, so they belong to me. Likewise, when you look at the person next to you at the peace, the peace of the Lord be with you, you're, recogni you're recognizing the Eucharist that is inside them, right? Jesus puts himself into them, and he embraces them. You can't possibly not embrace them. And this cuts across race, cuts across gender, cuts across sin, cuts across stereotype. All of these things where Christians should be out on the front edge. We, you know, just really kind of think about your own life and, and, and our life collectively together and how we're doing with this. The shepherd says, I pity the one who draws himself back from my love. Jesus doesn't force you. The gospel never works by force. And he pities you if you run the other way. Jesus says, I pity the one who draws himself back by my love and does not seek the joy of my presence. I've come that you may have joy and have it abundantly. I, may have, I, I come that you may have life and your life may be full, right? Though my heart is an open wound, right? We saw Caravaggio, even though, there's, even though there was almost a voters meeting level dispute afterwards about whether or not Thomas actually put his hand in or not, right? It's kind of interesting because, you know, remember Jesus wouldn't let Mary Magdalene touch him, and so did the text doesn't say that Thomas actually touched him, but Caravaggio's got him peeking inside at the water and the blood, which is in the epistle today. This is so nice, right? How does Jesus react to sinners? After a long time, he climbed a tree and spread his shining arms and hung by them and died his heart an open wound with love. Believe it or not, I've kind of given you everything else that is in here already, that Jesus, who is 
a suffering shepherd and a resurrected shepherd then puts shepherds in place to suffer for you and to bless you with his resurrection. And you, in turn, are those who constantly demand of your pastors the law and the gospel, but insofar as you're saints. So you demand that your pastor corrects you where you've gotten it wrong, but not that he destroys you as if you were a nothing or a possession for his own private use. So the law always accuses, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can say to other people and you can say to me, this is wrong and I still love you. Why? Because we're always accused for our sins. The law always accuses us, but... Yeah, I know. Forget about the 11 o'clock. We'll just keep going here. But <laughs> there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, Hopkins is an elder. See, pushing me around. See, he's like... Thief of time, thief of time, violation of the commandment about stealing. I can see him back there, okay? No, you're a good guy. So 14, last, just go right to the last page. This is all I want to see. And then we got to fly, especially if you're in the next. And, and there's brilliant music. Is there brilliant music again before the service? No. Strings, no? Are there strings again before the service? Yes? What time is that going to start? Chop, chop. Jesus loves me. Jesus will never hurt me. So love agrees, love follows, love does good. Love is about being one. There's only one shepherd. He's Christ. Christ sets us free. And as we have opportunity, let's do good to other people. Okay, good for you. You have two and a half minutes to get in and listen to the strings. It's genius. All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, love you. See you next week.